The Playhouse and That's Not Kind of Productions acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land on which we are recording this show today and all surrounding areas where we live, learn, and work. We also pay our respects to Elders past, present, and emerging. Hello, roomies. Welcome back to The Playhouse. We're here with Scene 29. It's hard to believe that we started this podcast at the beginning of the year, and we're up to our 29th episode. It's incredible. Um, I'm thrilled to be here guest hosting. If you couldn't tell already, this is Juliet. I'm part of the management team for the Playhouse podcast, but today I'm stepping into host. Um, Now, for those of you that don't know much background on me, so I went to a university program um, where I studied theater, and our program liked to do a lot of shows that no one had ever heard of or shows that were not frequently produced. So, for example, my first show was a musical called James Joyce's The Dead. Uh, If you don't know James Joyce, he is an Irish uh, novelist. And um, no one, I think, would have ever thought his stuff would be turned into a musical. But it was, and I was in it. Go look it up. Um, But we would also do a lot of lesser-known classical texts and a lot of Shakespeare. Did a lot of studying of Shakespeare. So I'm thrilled that today's episode, we're speaking to two artists who are performing in Technicolor Theater's production of Midsummer Night's Dream. So today we've got Alison Joyce. She is playing Titania. And Trent Owers, who's playing Demetrius, um, in this production that is literally in a garden. It is in the uh, Gold Coast Botanical Gardens. Um, and truthfully, I think it's about the only place that this play should be done, outdoors, in nature. So I'm, I'm so excited to see that's where it's being produced. Um, and it's being done in a fast, funny, and family-friendly, reimagined way. So let's get right into it and hear everything that they have to tell us about the production. Well, Allison and Trent, welcome to the Playhouse podcast. We're so glad to have you here. Thanks for having us. Thanks for having us. Yeah, of course. It's nice to be indoors and be able to do an interview from the comfort of your own home. I'm not sad that it's like this. Honestly, it'd be lovely to be in person and stuff, but this is very comfortable. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, absolutely it is. Maybe we've all gotten too used to doing a lot of things from home that normally we'd have to travel for, you know? We're never going to want to go back. Hey, if I can do all four rounds and callbacks from the comfort of my home, I would love to do that. Less pressure, less, no, no nerves, like all the way to the end, please, in the home. <laughs> Yeah, can you imagine? You can easily sneak off to the restroom if you need to, get yourself more water, touch up your makeup, take care of a lot of challenges. Okay, so let's just start from the top. It's great. Um, the thing that I love the most about theater is just that it brings together all people, just brings to you together with groups of people that you wouldn't have worked with otherwise or in other careers, people with all sorts of backgrounds and interests and everything. So it's wonderful to have both of you here so that you can share your diverse interests and your experience. So I would love to just start from the beginning. What got both of you into the performing arts? Maybe Allison, if you want to get us started. Sure. Um, goodness, I've been involved in the arts from since I was really young. I am um, so I'm biracial. I grew up in Papua New Guinea. Um, not a lot of uh, extremely cultural, but in terms of theatre and arts, it's a little bit lacking. So there wasn't a lot of opportunity growing up 
Um, but I started singing really young. I think that was my, that was my, the medium that got me into the arts world. Um, and it continued on. Um, I dabbled in, you know, in primary school theater and amateur theater when I, when I left high school, but, um, I really took on music as my career and that brought me around the world, which was, you know, such a, an incredible experience, a great avenue for me to, to see the world and to travel and to, really kind of hone my craft as a musician, as a singer. And um, when I moved back to Brisbane, I kind of got back into acting in theatre and that was only a couple of years ago. So obviously 2020 was a write-off. Um, so <laughs> I hit the ground running this year with, with the theatre and I've just fallen madly in love with it again and rekindling that romance. It's It's such a a joy to be on stage in that capacity again. I think it's wonderful to point out the way that as an artist, as a performer, you have all these different buckets that need filling. So music, you know, so much experience and um, love in that, but to come to classic text, to come to stage acting, you know, that's a separate bucket that you need filled for your artistic soul. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it's being filled. And ironically, Trent and I have like just been doing the same projects randomly. All at once. All at once. I love it. It's we, great. We've never met, never crossed paths. And then suddenly we're like doing, doing so many. Zero to 100. I That's incredible. Doesn't it sometimes feel like it's fate or it's serendipitous, you know, yeah. that the two of you would be put together on multiple projects at once? Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, I love that. All right, Trent. So your your background getting into the arts. Oh, well, if I go way, way back, I was like when I was living in Narrabri, which is like a town of like 5,000 people, like nothing. But I they used to have these people come to our school and put on like this concert every year. And I used to just be obsessed. It was my favorite time of year. And I still never, never even clicked to me then. That was what I loved so much. I even, my parents always tell me the story how in kindergarten, I got all the girls up that I knew to be the Spice Girls in front of the assembly. And then I was collectively all the Spice Girls, but that was single Spice Girls, but I was all of them and I would tell all of them what to do. Um, so that wasn't a clear indication from the beginning. I don't know what it is. Uh, <laughs> but yeah. Uh, yeah, and so, but then I uh, got really into sports and then ended up um, being on like sports scholarships. And I literally forgot about it um, until I got a sports scholarship to go to uh, Downlands in Toowoomba. Um, and so I was doing that there and then had a very high school musical one experience where I was doing sports and I was doing rugby and then the musical had auditions and I suddenly was like, I want to do that. And then did it, was doing the musical, high school musical <laughs> in high school. <laughs> yeah, got cast in that. <laughs> And then all my high school, oh, okay, this is problematic at the time, but there was no anything. I played Chad, but it's only because I was a sports guy and I was the, um, but, you know, colorblind casting. Um, the guy who played Troy, it was the only male singer. I literally sang Twinkle Twinkle Little Star in my audition. I was taking anyone. So, like, talent at that point was just boy, be boy. And I was like, I am boy. I can do this. Um, so... I done, I done that, fell in love with it. And I was like, this is crazy. I love this. Where I fell hard, did a bunch of projects that same year, like uh, community-wise, just around all like the kind of adult uh, community theatre-wise. And then I uh, moved to London and just went 
straight into it and was there for like five, six years and doing that thing and then found myself back in the Gold Coast about two, three years ago. Yeah. Wow. Now, both of you have done a bit of travel. Trent, just going off of what you just said, what do you feel like going to London to study and spend five, six years there? You know, what sort of new perspective did that bring you returning to your home area? Oh, so much. The thing with that I kind of even miss about London is the hustle. They will, we will do, or they will do like five auditions in a day. They will do like a, be working retail and go to an audition on their lunch break. Um, like, yeah, it's a whole thing. There's moments, I have a whole story where there was two remaining guys for a role. One said, I have to go back to work now. Do you mind if I go first? And the other guy said, yes. And then that guy who went in first got the role because I was just like, oh, you're here first. It's yours. That was a $40,000 commercial. Like, it's just stuff like that that just, it just boom, 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 boom. Um, So coming back, it was just seeing how a lot of actors, there's a lot of actors and less roles where I feel like in, in the UK and probably others in the US as well, there's a lot of roles and a lot of actors so they're just um so I feel like everyone here who is in the industry is going for these one roles so I kind of had to change a mindset of the smaller projects the things that are like the newer works and the things that are smaller and you can work closer with cast with what rather than everyone aiming for these one touring roles of each thing it's the little projects that I find that uh you find the most connection have the most fun in in the end yeah, absolutely. And Alison, for you, not being, you know, not um, being raised in Australia, but coming here and with all of your tour experience and especially bringing a bit of your personal background. And that has been so huge in your music and in that work, you know, bringing that to Australia. Like, what does that mean to you? Yeah, I mean, so my father is was Australian. So being biracial, it's 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 all it's always going to be a very interesting ride. Um, I actually moved to London as well. <laughs> and did that whole thing so (laughs) and I you know all my flatmates were dancers and performers so the constant hustle that you know was talking about I totally feel that it gives you such energy and life and it's you know in your 20s you're ready for that kind of yes let's go let's do it um I think you know I, I moved to the Sunshine Coast when I was 10 actually when I was quite young and um there's a bit of a full circle um I've found a lot where my mother put me, she wanted to put me in dance um, school. Um, and so when I showed up on the day, I was, I was immediately alienated because I was the only black girl and I was so afraid and so scared. I just, I didn't, I couldn't do it. So, because I just didn't feel welcome or, or, you know, comfortable. So I never went to dance school. You know, later in life, it's impacted so many auditions I've done because I just can't dance. Like I don't have the um, technical ability to dance. So I've missed so many auditions. And it's <laughs> it's really interesting because that sort of, you know, lack of inclusion back then has, I guess, motivated me so much more but traveling and being biracial has allowed me to do so much in my own country of Papua New Guinea and I find that through my art you know I've, I've adopted that word artivist which kind of means you know you're creating art for the greater good um, I and I, yeah I found that I've really been able to utilize that site you know that part of my life to to bring about change and to um, affect change and 
you know, just to influence in a positive way over in PNG. But yeah, traveling the world, it's coming back to Australia has, it's also motivated me in, in the diversity and inclusion aspect to, to really push because like, you know, Trent said, colorblind casting, it's still extremely prevalent. You know, we're still casting mm-hmm. black actors in black roles just because and mm-hmm. completely, you know, not, not necessarily casting or any, any ethnicity at all um, or ability or gender or anything and not necessarily looking past and seeing talent in casting. Mm. That's something I feel like we're all working towards changing. Yeah, absolutely. And what sort of wins do you see have taken place in in the fight for diversity and inclusion? You know, you speak about when you were younger going into dance class and what you faced there. Do you feel that there has been progress and maybe what's what's the next progress that you would like to see? Like what is what is best case, most inclusive theater community, performing arts community look like to you? Yeah, that's a really, that's such a multi-layered question. And it's something I think a lot about because in recent castings, I've, you know, I feel like off the back of Black Lives Matter, people are starting to, they're starting to understand to a certain extent how important it is. But at the same time, I feel it's a little bit contrived in that we're sort of desperately trying to book you know, BIPOC actors or, or, you know, different ability actors or anything like that. So I'm still finding there's a real confusion as to how to go, you know, how to be, be more inclusive. And I think, you know, in a perfect world, which doesn't exist, but in a better world, shows like, you know, this show that we're doing with the Technicolor Theatre, you know, I think Andrew's, Andrew's vision for diversity and inclusion, it, it's the most heartfelt and true that I've seen in a long time um, because he's cast he's cast ability he's cast talent in roles and and has not you know just completely thrown out the uh, the stereotype of, of casting you know like a black role because it's a black actor in, in the film adaptation or something like that which I've experienced a lot of I think shows like Hamilton you know there are historical issues there's so much context and there's so many layers but but yeah it's it's very frustrating I saw <laughs> I saw a show the other day being put on by a very well-known company which I won't mention they're using BIPOC and African diaspora people in their marketing and there's the, sh- the show is, an, you know, the main character is Ethiopian, but there's no Black person to be seen in their cast mm. at all. And yet they're you, all of their marketing images are of Black people, of BIPOC actors. And it's just so, I don't understand it because I, <laughs> I feel like there's a real, real lack of respect there. And it's, it's quite hurtful to see that you you know, when you're when you're putting on a show that where the lead character is a is an Ethiopian princess, and you've cast a non well, you've cast a white actress. For me, that's that's a real slap in the face. And then to use you know black individuals in your marketing is it just takes it to the next level for me. So things like that. I don't want to go you know complain or anything, but it's mm. just things like that need to change. We really need to be a little bit more conscious about how we approach these things and there's it's it's so easy for us to ask questions and yet I feel like we're too afraid to do so too afraid to start that conversation you know 
Yeah, that's a great point. Just starting with asking the questions. And I think you've hit on a major, major element that is probably missing for a lot of people, which is asking, why do I care about this? You know, on a creative team, a director, an artistic director, asking why, why is diversity important? And really getting to not why it's important for you and your company. Why is it important on a larger cultural humanity scale is is what's most important. And what you've said about casting based on who is the best fit based on skill and ability for the role is, is what it needs to start with and not another agenda. Mm, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Now speaking on the production, because you've, you've talked about it and Trent, I'd love for you to start us off. What do you think about this production of Midsummer? It's such a classic text. I mean, anyone who's studied drama has probably read it or maybe they avoided it and read the cliff notes version, but is familiar with it. So what about this production that you're putting on is going to speak to modern audiences and modern interests? I was saying earlier about rehearsals. I've had, has been put into these characters um, so far is, is so much more than I have ever envisioned of seeing the 17 different episodes, like uh, versions that I've watched on YouTube so far. Andrew just goes into, into every single speech and moment and just, it really just connects the characters a lot more and has modernized it with not only being open to interpretation with lines, especially like not one line, just because it's Shakespeare has to be said in this one way. It can mean so many different things. And of course my character especially has gone from a straight character to a, we haven't decided if he's gay or if he's bi, but let's just say he's on the spectrum, but he's not straight. <laughs> um, so even just that and modernizing it up and making it more of, it's a timeless story anyway. So the fact that we bring these modern like ideas of sexuality into it, just really sets it up for something else. And that's just speaking from my characters and from what I've done, I kind of imagine what, especially the players and what AJ and everyone have already like figured out themselves and their rehearsals on like this thing's going to be a whole different way of looking at it actually yeah with uh in regards to sexuality like you said you know in a way it makes you ask why does anyone have to be defined you know I, yeah. I would hope that people seeing the show see that character and accept the character for exactly how he is and how he shows up and not need to put him into a box Mm. along with any of the characters not need to put them into a box as a particular sexuality as a particular gender as a particular race mm. why not just have them be the character that they are and their personality exactly. and really matters yeah i love that like you said you've seen 17 different versions there is so much about midsummer that you can pull inspiration from or pull previous experience from but everyone should yep. attend this performance with a complete open mind and open heart to exactly what you put on stage. Yes, I absolutely love that. Now, what has each of your process been like personally, maybe outside of the rehearsal room or, or maybe it's with people on the creative team, but for tackling Shakespeare, do you have a process? Is it breaking down every line? Is it, you know, reading translations of, of what things mean? Like what, what does that look like? Well, I've played, I've actually, I played Titania in another production um, yeah. and it's been, really, yeah, it's been interesting because this, this production has flipped the gender. So I'm actually reading Oberon's lines as Titania, which is awesome. I really loved, I just thought that was such a great 
flip and I love, you know, just echoing what Trent said. I absolutely love what Andrew's doing with this production. But, yeah, Shakespeare's always. Katie gave me this incredible book, No Fear Shakespeare. (laughs) Oh, great. So it's basically, you know, it has the entire play and also in layman terms on one side. So that really helps with context. It's helped me understand more. Um, And I think, I feel like being a musician with, you know, the timing and the flow and the beat um, of Shakespearean language really helps. I find that it helps a lot in in getting into the flow and learning how to read. But, yeah, just over and over. It, It would be so great to jump in and rehearse more alongside our stage partners. But for the most part, my son, my nine-year-old helps. So (laughs) he's been helping mummy rehearse a lot, which has been great. Oh, that's, uh, and he's going to be a nine-year-old who knows Shakespeare inside and out. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Learning for both of you. And Trent, what does it look like on your side? Uh, Well, as I was saying before, those 17 productions that I've watched, I was actually... Literally for research. I love I love to just see how everyone interprets the character differently. And it also makes me understand it in completely different ways that they deliver the line. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's kind of like one of my three-step process. And then I, I'm a, definitely like a listener. I record all my lines on like voice memos. And then I listen to it when I'm at the gym, when I'm in the car, and it just really bangs it in. I can't read them in my head. I just can't nothing's going on up here I need to like say it out loud um and then that third is kind of doing it on the floor I found I found that like nothing stuck until we we blocked it and then I was like cool this gives this line purpose this gives this moment purpose and then it was locked in so I have a rehearsal uh, this afternoon and the lines are there but I know as soon as we block it it's just gonna be sealed it's gonna be ready to go right a bit more muscle memory and yeah while all plays musicals you know all these mediums are meant to be performed for Shakespeare there is just that barrier of the language not being the way we speak and so it really needs to settle in when you're on stage with an intention knowing exactly what you're saying, who you're saying it to, what you're physically doing. I I mean, Shakespeare, to me, in the modern day, is not meant to be read. It has to be on its feet. Oh, 1,000%. And if you don't understand a line, it's pretty much useless. Like, you have to do the research or else you're just saying words. You're just, like, reciting words without knowing the meaning behind it, which makes it so much harder. (laughs) So I'd like to switch gears a little bit and ask you both about with both of your careers and things that you share and and put out there. I'd love to know about the role of social media in, in both of your backgrounds and how that has, you know, how you've used it to your advantage and also how you are able to disconnect from it in your quote unquote real life outside of what, what you're posting online. So, so like Trent with everything that you share and especially about your, um, you know, you speak a lot about being plant-based. Is that right? Yeah. yeah. Like that sort of thing and sharing health recommendations and products and, and all of that and, and giving that advice. Yeah. How has that, that helped you? How has that fueled you as an artist? And then, and then how do you turn it off and leave it behind? Yeah. Well, I, um, I met my husband and we ended up actually creating a YouTube channel, which kind of, um, sorted off into the internet world um which was then our full-time job for many years 
And that was kind of like our main avenue. So that's how I first started with social media. So really just being create, creative online and making videos and um, skits and, and then it kind of turned into a career and then it became more of a monetizing thing, which then I didn't like it as much. So when we moved here, we kind of stopped most of it. But then Instagram stayed. But it's actually really funny because in the UK, an agent told me, this was back in maybe 2016, 17, they were like, you have a personality online that casting directors, they're not going to like it because you're known online as a non-actor and they're going to see that as a downfall. And then I came to Australia and they're like, oh, they want to know your Instagram bios. They want to know everything about your social media. And I was like, what? It's just so confusing. <laughs> I just, I didn't expect to come. I was like defeated after coming out of that thing being like, oh, well, I can't do both. That's it. I, I've tried to harness it in the way that I've gone from more what it was, which was couples and stuff to try and put it into what I actually like and what I actually want to put out into the world. So I'm like, I'm crazy about being plant-based and uh, so I want, I really wanted to show that in the easiest way possible without it being kind of like a preach moment. It's more of a look how easy it is. I'm doing it. I do not have to do it, but this is how I'm doing it. And it's this easy. And then just kind of putting myself into it and being, and then I can put my acting and stuff. I just t- try to keep it as broad as possible. So I don't feel like I'm boxed in to doing one singular thing. I also have like a, a private account, which is where I can be my non-monetized trend just the the crazy stuff yes (laughs) that you want the internet to see but not all the internet to see yeah right 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 but yeah what I'm getting is that what's important is that you're you're being genuine you're what you're sharing is genuinely who you are and things that you support and believe in and you're putting it out there because it works for for you and if you help or affect one person 10 people then then that's great but ultimately it's because you truly believe in it Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. And Alison, I mean, my impression in music is that you, you really do need to be on the front of advertising what you're doing and sharing your, sharing your content. Uh, <laughs> I have a, a love hate relationship with social media. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't think I've ever really understood how to use it, how to maximize anything, you know, designed to push anything in particular I just I guess it's just a projection of a part of me really and um if a show comes along if a new track's about to drop because my audience is predominantly in Papua New Guinea at this stage you know they're still very much Facebook is still the number one social media um, tool over there at the moment so um and you know as well as traditional media newspaper radio and television still very much so i engage actively over there in those forms of media mm. do they yeah. do they like podcasts not not yet you know slowly getting there but still very much tied to the traditional um media because it's uh in a country that needs it's very tangible still they kind of need that connection and as well as connectivity being a huge problem, you know. So, yeah. So, but yeah, I am. Um, I'm. I'm still finding my way with social media. Yeah. Any so welcome. Right. And once it's understood, something will be updated. Something new will yeah. come. You know, it's just being being on top of it. And for you, you're juggling one form of you know publicizing yourself in Papua New Guinea and what 
is consumed there versus what's consumed in Australia versus, you know, on a global scale, it's all so different. So you've just got to be flexible and roll with the punches. Yeah. I need tips from Trent who has like a million followers. (laughs) (laughs) Next week. During tech, we'll do it. This is why you've been brought together. (laughs) (laughs) On all of your projects. (laughs) Okay. So now that we've heard a bit about your experience and what you're doing on the show, I would love for you to share for any of our listeners. I'm sure a lot of our listeners are um, emerging artists or just leaving degrees or have some experience and, um, and are looking to gain some insight. So the big, the big thing that you learned maybe in training, or maybe just from a director or someone that you worked with that has really stuck with you and kept you going as a performer. Something for me, which is, it's so simple, but it's just always stuck with me is you can never be too prepared. You get material for it. Like I could get through it. I'm like, no, go, go into it one more time. Go into it like just one more time. I know you've done it 10,000 times, still one more. I just feel like a lot of people, when you get in an audition room, you can just kind of crumble or you go numb or these are all the things I do, by the way. Um, and you just, <laughs> you're not fully present, I find. Um, so just knowing it and having it in your body, just that little bit more, I feel like can express really what you're trying to give, what you're trying to show them, which you can do but that those audition nerves can just kind of like pull you back a little bit. Yep. I love that. I agree. I don't think you can ever be too prepared. You get prepared yeah. so that then if you're asked for something else or you have to let it all go, you're comfortable to do that. Exactly. Exactly. Alison, what have you come up with? What sticks to you? I think I've developed my own lesson in that I to, to not go into anything with preconceived beliefs or overthink things, you know, because as a BIPOC actor, I immediately, that's the first thing I do. If I see an audition listing, I look for, you know, are they open to all ethnicities? Is it encouraged? Are they encouraging us to apply? How do I know? You know, it's, it's always a question in my mind. Should I even bother? So I think developing that sense of courage and just do it regardless. You've applied, it's okay if they don't want you, they don't want you, whatever. So that's kind of something I've developed myself in, you know, through experience. Mm-hmm. And I yeah. think that's wonderful advice for any any other BIPOC actors who have the same question, who, yeah. you know, I would guess maybe all ask themselves that when they look at a listing to just, yeah, just say, say yes to yourself first, you know, say, yes, I have a right to be in that room and in that show. Absolutely. That's it. Our last question that we like to ask everyone is where do you call home? And that can be a place. It can be um, geographical. It could be on a stage. It could be in front of a microphone. It could be with a person, however you would like to interpret, but where do you call home? I have, I have my comfort with my family in my hometown. And then I have my comfort with my dogs and I'm a very homebody person. So my dogs, my husband here and just brunching and going to the beach is a very comforting thing for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and then obviously I've got my mother-in-law and my friends in the UK who I've spent a lot of time with for many years. So there's just, but they all bring different experiences and comforts themselves. All, but all of them kind of like wrap up into like the friends and family kind of bubble, I think. And they're the ones who kind of give you everything you need they could push you they could stop you they can just make sure you're 
it's always good to have like the support system anyway I feel like when it comes to when you're being so vulnerable in this industry all the time it's good to have someone there to talk to about you know what I mean yes yeah and for you you've got those different groups of people to support you Mm. yeah that's beautiful yeah for me, I, I call, I, so, I definitely call myself home. If we take care of ourselves, then we can take care of everyone else. You know, I always use that analogy when you're on a plane. They tell you, there's a reason they tell you to fit your own mask before you fit anyone else's because you're useless if you're not protected and taken care of. And I think that self-love and, and self-belief really transcends wherever you are and I, that's where you carry home wherever you go like transcend we travel the world we're biracial we have family all over the world um, so wherever we go is we carry ourselves and that's that becomes our home so yeah but so what a nice testament to to having security in yourself and who you are and and owning your place on this planet to, to say I, I am my home and wherever I am and whatever situation I'm in, I can make that home because I've got myself. Okay. So just to finish it up, give us a quick plug. Yeah. Well, you can definitely, you can catch us at the Gold Coast Regional Botanical Gardens yep. from the 27th to the 25th of July. And over to you, Trent. Oh, it's going to be awesome. There's lots going on. It's this, the location is beautiful. There's going to be some surprises, which will hopefully be released later on to do with the environment and kind of like how everything's set out. Um, so that's going to be really fun and exciting. Um, so we hope you, we will see you all there. Yeah. yeah. It's going to be a beautiful show for family and kids. It's going to be such a magical experience, you know, out in nature, really immersive and um yeah, I, even if you're new to Shakespeare, yes. it's it's a, the first. This I would actually really recommend this to be your first outing to a Shakespeare experience. Yeah, oh, such great encouragement for anyone that's intimidated or thinks it it won't make sense. This is the one. This is your introduction. It's the one for you. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. Well, thank you both so much for coming on and speaking about your own personal journeys and your experiences as well as your show. Um, we can't wait to see it and to see more out of both of you. Thank, Thank you, you so much, Juliet. Thank, Thank you. you. Appreciate it. Well, after all of that and hearing all about that production, we of course have to dedicate our first Playhouse pick to this production of Midsummer Night's Dream with Technicolor Theatre Company. It's running the 22nd through the 25th of July at the Gold Coast Regional Botanical Gardens. So enjoy a little bit of Shakespeare in the Park here in Queensland and get your tickets to see this new take on a classic comedy. Next is another classic for those who enjoy ball gowns, family drama, and a little bit of magic. Cinderella is being done by Phoenix Ensemble from the 6th through the 28th of August. Now, we at the Playhouse are particularly excited for this one because our very own Priya Shaw is starring as one of the most lovable villains in history, really. She's playing one of the wicked stepsisters, Joy. We are all so excited to see her in this production, and we know she's going to be fabulous along with the rest of the cast. So make sure you get your tickets and head out to Binley to see Cinderella. Now, if you fancy yourself suited for a Hitchcock-inspired whodunit spy comedy, get your British accent ready and audition for 39 Steps with Ipswich Little Theatre. Auditions are August 9th. You can see details in the audition section of the Theatre House website and the Ipswich Little Theatre auditions page. So if you didn't know, on the Theatre House page, there are 
all the auditions that are taking place in the area in Queensland. So make sure you head over there and stay up to date with the productions that are coming through. Honestly, it is currently stacked with auditions. So if you're interested in getting involved, taking to the stage, and then who knows, maybe we'll have you come in for an interview with the Playhouse, um, go check that section of the website out and sign yourself up for some auditions. Thank you so much to Trent and to Allison for coming for that interview. What I love so much about this production and about what Trent and Allison were talking about is the inclusivity in this take on a Shakespeare play and, and inclusivity in general. Um, and also that we're not making one character fit into a particular box. We're not making actors fit into a particular box. There are actors who do classical text, but there are actors who do commercial theater as well. They're, they can do both. And characters can be anything that they want to be, not necessarily the way that they were originally written, but they can be updated and really appeal to a modern audience. So I'm so excited to see this take on Midsummer Night's Dream. And um, I hope that it inspires more people to think outside the box when it comes to doing these these shows that we've seen many times before. Yeah, we're all creative and we're all artists and we have great ideas. So get out there and, and do your dream production of, of whatever show you're thinking of doing. If you're keen to get involved um, with shows or on the creative team, uh, go ahead and check out the Theater House website, like I mentioned, for shows that are coming up, book your tickets, sign up for auditions, submit to have your play reviewed by the theater house team uh, and then submit to have the playhouse team come and check out the show as well come do an interview with us we'd love to hear from you uh, so thanks for listening thanks to trent and allison for stopping by the playhouse and we'll see you next time uh, that's not kind of productions podcast I'm Dan Beeston. I'm Gregoire. And we're smart enough to know better. We're a podcast of science. What's the first question you ask? Uh, How do we get a baby drunk? Comedy. What's the best way to kill Jar Jar Binks? And ignorance. Household hydrogen peroxide is like 3% to 6% hydrogen yeah. peroxide. So you can drink 94% of any hydrogen peroxide <laughs> and still be okay. Search for Smart Enough to Know Better in your podcast-compatible device. My masters just went down the toilet. <laughs> uh, that's not kind of productions podcast.